And now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the podcast you've all been waiting for, Legacy Story with Adam Solomini. Oh, you are too kind. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, my name is Adam Solomini, and this is my podcast, Legacy Story. Ultimately, this podcast is meant to rekindle your own legacy story memories and ignite a desire to create more. Wow, a lot has been happening in the world lately, right? It's pretty crazy to think that... uh, A little less than two weeks ago, many people didn't even have Ukraine and Russia on their radar. Now, that's all we're seeing on TV, hearing on radio, seeing in our social feeds, the armed conflict as a result of Russia invading the Ukraine. The news media can't get enough of it. Pretty much everything you're going to be seeing and hearing for a very long time, because this is big money season. War is big money season for the news media. Although what is going on is terrible, I think it's important to step back and focus on what is important in your life directly. Don't feed into the fear that is going to be peddled out there. Fear of cyber attacks, fear of World War III, because that fear is going to impede you from controlling what you can actually control. Having said that, you know and I know that war is bad. Generally, it's not good for anyone. There can, however, be small slivers of hope, small slivers of goodness that can be found in times of war. You can even see some of that today. I saw a video of Ukrainians, basically citizens, blocking a road. There were some Russian tanks coming down the road and they decided to stand in their way with no weapons and they were singing. What happened? Well, they actually stopped the Russians from moving forward. There was another video that I came across where just a few individuals did the same and the Russian tank actually turned around. So today I would like to focus on those slivers of goodness, the slivers of hope in an effort to give hope at a time that for some seem hopeless. Here's a story about Judy, the only animal POW during World War II. Judy was a purebred English mascot and pointer for the Royal Navy and was helpful in saving lives during the time she was in prison camp on North Sumatra. She was able to hunt extra food for prisoners as well as to regularly stop the guards from beating some people up. In the camp, Judy met pilot Frank Williams, who became her lifelong companion. After bribing the drunk camp commandant with one of her puppies, Williams successfully registered Judy as a POW to prevent the guards from killing her. Another story from the Civil War was that of General Ulysses S. Grant in 1864. On the road to the battlefield during the Battle of the Wilderness, considered to be one of the bloodiest parts of the Civil War, he encountered a teamster who was brutally whipping his horse since their cart was stuck in the mud. Grant went on to threaten the man regarding the animal brutality to no avail. After the third strike, Grant had just about enough and tied the man to a tree. He stayed there for about six hours. Here's another story that started in 1941. 
Unlike so many of his peers, Erwin Rommel, one of Germany's greatest tacticians, served his country with professionalism and humanity. His men in the Africa Corps did as well. In 1946, one of his engineers wrote a poignant letter to the fiancé of a British pilot revealing how her beloved fiancé died an honorable death by their hands during a 1941 battle. The engineer, Gernot Knopp, wrote to Dorothy Bird of how her fiancé, William Ross, came under heavy anti-aircraft fire during a raid on his fuel ship in eastern Libya. Although Ross died in the mission, the Germans admired his courage and buried him with full military honors, with Rommel himself in attendance. Knopp sent her not only the letter, but also Ross's personal effects in a photo that showed the pilot's final resting place. Although Bird knew about Ross's death, details from her fiancé's final moments relieved her greatly. You know, we associate concentration camps with so much death and suffering that it's nearly impossible to imagine anything good coming from them. Yet, against all odds, seven babies born inside a camp survived their ordeal healthy and unharmed. Their mothers were Jewish women of Hungarian origin locked up in an auxiliary camp in Kofering. They took great pains to hide their pregnancies from the Nazi eyes to avoid being killed or transferred to the more infamous camp at Dachau. The other prisoners helped the mothers by hiding the babies and taking care of them whenever the mothers had to work. One Jewish woman who oversaw the camp for the Nazis even bore a severe beating after she brought a stove to the mothers' quarters to help them survive the winter. For the U.S. soldiers who later liberated the camp, it was an uplifting sight to see the live and healthy mothers and their babies even among the dead and emaciated prisoners around them. Have you ever heard about Jacqueline Cochran? Pilot Jacqueline Cochran headed up the Women Air Force Service Pilots also known as WASP, and tirelessly trained pilots for the program during World War II. After earning the U.S. Distinguished Service Medal in 1945, she joined the Air Force Reserve as a lieutenant colonel. She also received her Air Force Command Pilot Wings and three Distinguished Flying Cross Medals. You may have heard of Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss was a fearless World War II medic who refused to carry a gun. Dubbed a conscientious objector, he nevertheless single-handedly saved the lives of 50 to 100 American soldiers on the Maeda Escarpment of Okinawa in 1945. Doss also treated his own injuries to save stretchers for others and earned the Medal of Honor, making him the first conscientious objector to do so. Polish Army Captain Wytold Pilecki volunteered to enter Auschwitz in order to expose its horrors to the world. There, he organized a network of prisoners to aid him in the name of the Polish resistance. Unfortunately, the underground army thought Pilecki had exaggerated conditions in the camp and didn't believe him. Though Pilecki managed to escape Auschwitz and tried to liberate the camp from the outside, he was captured at the Warsaw Uprising and later executed by the Soviets on fabricated charges. Have you heard of Deborah Sampson before? Deborah Sampson disguised herself as a man for two years to fight in the Continental Army during the Revolutionary War. Shot in battle, she dug the bullet out of her own leg rather than being exposed. After an exam years later, while gravely ill, she was found out and honorably discharged. She was one of the first female lecturers 
and her husband was one of the first men to receive a widow's pension. Here's a story seldom told. As part of the black regiment known as the Harlem Hellfighters, Henry Johnson suffered 21 wounds and rescued a soldier while repelling an enemy raid in the Argonne Forest during World War I. Nicknamed Black Death during wartime, Johnson's discharge papers contained errors and left out his injuries, therefore denying him disability pay and his Purple Heart. He died at 32, but his military legacy lived on through his son, Herman Johnson, who served with the famous Tuskegee Airmen. Wow, what a family legacy. Our next story is about Virginia Hall. The Gestapo called Virginia the most dangerous of all Allied spies. They underlined the importance of tracking down the woman with a limp, which was from Hall's use of a prosthetic leg. Hall was the first female operative of Britain's Special Operations Executive to be sent into France, where she worked as an Allied spy. She spied there for three years until she was forced to escape on foot through the Pyrenees Mountains. Hall later requested to be sent back into occupied France as a wireless radio operator, reporting the movements of German troops before she joined the CIA in 1951. Another hero from World War II was surgical nurse Ruby Bradley, who was captured three weeks after Pearl Harbor and sent to a POW camp in Manila. There she became an angel in fatigues, performing over 230 surgeries and assisting in childbirths under the camp's inadequate conditions, all the while smuggling in food and medical supplies. Five years later, Bradley went on to the front lines of the Korean War as the chief nurse of the 171st Evacuation Hospital. As 100,000 Chinese soldiers advanced on her hospital, Bradley refused to leave until she had evacuated all of the injured and sick. Bradley managed to leap aboard her plane just as an enemy shell struck and destroyed her ambulance. Have you ever heard of the Christmas truce? It was Christmas time in 1914. Perhaps one of the most famous stories from the Great War was unfolding. Now, the details are a little shaky and obviously romanticized, but the story goes like this. German and Allied soldiers emerged from their foxholes, driven by Christmas spirit and the need to play soccer. There was an impromptu kick of something soccer ball shaped. The actual exchange was as much about a rejection of the war from both sides than the need to play what Europeans like to call football. Pope Benedict had called for a Christmas truce of sorts, but the official war response was no. The Allied soldiers heard singing amidst a break in the shooting on Christmas Eve. The Germans were singing carols in their trenches. The Allied soldiers decided that they were going to sing too and started singing Christmas carols. Eventually, they ended up on the same song. After that, the Germans made the first move. They raised a sign reading, You know shoot, we know shoot. Soldiers from both sides met in the no-man's land between their trenches. They carried away the dead, exchanged gifts of food, drink, buttons, and hats, and enjoyed a Christmas Eve without war. This lasted through Christmas Day, spread to different places on the front, but not entirely. But it was a Christmas Eve and Christmas Day for the history books. This wasn't the only time that enemies had recognized each other's humanity and changed their course of action because they realized there was an actual human on the other side. 
Charlie Brown, for instance. And no, I'm not talking about the Peanuts and Snoopy. I'm talking about Charlie Brown and, and Franz Stigler. This story occurred on December 20th, 1943, when American B-17 Flying Fortress bomber pilot Charles Brown was carrying out a successful bombing of Nazi territory. His B-57 was named Ye Old Pub and was not loved by a dozen German fighters. They were attacked for over 10 minutes, and the B-57 was severely damaged and most of the crew was wounded. The tail gunner had been killed and Charlie suffered a right shoulder wound. A German fighter ace credited with taking down several enemy fighters in aerial combat, Franz Stigler, quickly took off in his Messerschmitt BF-109 in pursuit of retaliation for his brother, August, who was killed earlier in World War II by the U.S. Air Force. Brown abandoned all hopes of escaping the inevitable end due to the condition of his crew and the condition of his aircraft. Franz Stigler maneuvered his aircraft and lined up for what would have been a very easy kill shot. He later said that he remembered words of his commanding officer during battle in Africa that they were pilots first, and if he ever heard of any of them shooting someone in a parachute, he would shoot the pilot. Stigler said that the damaged B-57 crews were like they were in a parachute and that he couldn't shoot them down. Stigler lived by the warrior code of honor. He flew beside the B-17, looked at each other as they flew the planes, and Brown thought that this was it. But instead, it wasn't it. Stigler tried to get Brown to land at a German airfield, but Brown refused and kept flying. Stigler then flew in formation with the B-57, fooling the German anti-aircraft crew into assuming it as their own captured B-57. Stigler escorted them until they reached the North Sea and departed with a salute. After the war, Brown returned to the United States, and Stigler had moved to Canada in 1953. Almost 40 years later, in 1990, the two pilots met miraculously and became close friends. They remained friends until both of them died in 2008. Are any of you Notre Dame or USC fans out there? Well, professional American football player Mario Tonelli was a sergeant in the U.S. Army's 200th Coast Artillery during World War II. He, along with 60 to 80,000 Filipino and American soldiers, found themselves on the losing side of the Battle of Bataan in 1942. This happened to be a very intense time of Japanese invasion of the Philippines. The prisoners of war were forced into the almost 80-mile-long Bataan Death March, during which they were starved, physically abused, and some were murdered. Before they could reach their destination, somewhere around 10,000 Filipino and 600 American prisoners of war died. A Japanese soldier spotted Tonelli's Notre Dame class ring during the march. Tonelli refused to give up his class ring. It was a symbol of his time as a football player, one that included a 70-yard run against the University of Southern California. He also scored in that game. To save his life, uh, one of his friends convinced him to give it up, and he did. Tonelli, however, was surprised when an English-speaking Japanese officer started walking towards him. In his hand was that very class ring. He returned it to him. The Japanese officer told him that he studied at USC and, surprisingly, was on the football field during Tonelli's inspirational run and knew what the ring meant to Tonelli. After that, Tonelli hid the ring in a soap dish buried underneath his barracks. 
Ultimately, he was rescued after three years of hell. I hope you enjoyed this mix of stories from wartime that hopefully has shown you that even the smallest amount of good can come out of a very bad situation that is war. And like I said, and have said quite a bit even before the Ukraine and Russia conflict, turn off the TV, mute your social media, reflect on the good that is around you, focus on the things that are important, and control the things that you can control. Well, that's all for today's episode of Legacy Story. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Plus, don't forget to follow me on social media at Your Legacy Story, except for Twitter, which is The Legacy Story. And you can also follow me at Infinancer. If you're interested in changing your trajectory, whether it is through personal coaching, financial coaching, or business coaching, you can book a discovery session with me at infinancer.com. I-N-F-I-N-A-N-C-E-R.com. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, consider donating. You can donate via Cash App at dollar sign Infinancer. Half of all the donations, by the way, will go into a scholarship. Until next time, ciao.